Morning, everyone. Glad that we could be together this morning. We're starting a new series this morning that will run uh, four weeks and a somewhat similar series subsequent to that. But this series for the next four weeks is entitled What Disciples Do. And we're very interested in, as a community, uh, learning uh, of the practices of the Christian faith. Not the, this is not a series about what we believe by way of the Apostles' Creed or do certain doctrines. This is practices, what we do. And uh, doing, doing matters, because here's the thing that I want to say at the outset. Faith, your faith, my faith, our faith together, is not simply a mental ascent of doctrine. It just isn't. We're called not to simply give assent to certain things. We're called to do things. And when the doing is divorced from the believing, faith becomes boring. And when it becomes boring, it becomes irrelevant. And when it becomes irrelevant, people no longer participate. And uh, of, the, of the young people who grow up in the church, 60% of them are no longer in the church by the age of 25. In other words, people are leaving the church, particularly between the ages of 18 and 25. And part of the reason, I would say, is because it's become boring to them. And so what we're going to do is we want to work on recovering our understanding of what are the practices of the church. What do disciples do? And we'll be looking at that for the next uh, several weeks. So take a moment at the beginning. Let's pray together, and then we'll get into this text. Father, thanks so much that we can gather here within these walls, as well online, as well up in the cheering section uh, in the, in the uh, overflow room. We're grateful, Father, for your faithfulness to this community. Our prayer, Father, is that you would uh, receive from us our worship this morning, and we open our hands and our hearts to receive from you in order that you might shape us to be people of hope in our world. Toward that end, we pray. Teach us now. Give us hearts to respond, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, what disciples do? The word disciple simply means follower of Christ. So that's all it means. And so... Uh, we live in an age when many people say, I'm into Jesus, but I just don't like the church. Raise your hand if you've heard it from people, right? Yeah, oh, Jesus. Jesus is awesome. Love Jesus. Jesus t-shirt. But uh, don't, I don't want to be involved in institutional Christianity for whatever reason, right? And so it's very important here that uh, we understand, well, listen, if you're a follower of Christ... Followers of Christ do certain things. Any gathered community does stuff, right? You come here on Saturday, there's a group of runners, and they, and they meet over there, and they don't meet to read a book about running. A, a running community what? Runs. The mountaineers climb. People who eat at Krispy Kreme every Saturday morning get fat. <laughs> but people like... There's a practice. There's a practice that's associated with any community. That's just the way it is. And so the question on the table this morning and for the next three weeks is what do disciples do? What are their practices? And this morning in particular, we're going to uh, uh, unpack together the reality that when disciples uh, are living into their faith uh, as fully formed followers of Christ. If I'm a follower of Christ, what do I do? I gather. I do exactly what we're doing right now. In other words, this is this morning, disciples gather. Next week, disciples grow. Week after that, disciples go. But this morning, disciples gather. So what do we mean, disciples gather? What I'm going to do this morning is share with you three reasons why what happens here on Sunday morning is very important, why gathering together 
in this venue uh, matters. And then I'm going to talk uh, not only about why we gather, but how we are invited to gather. So three reasons why disciples gather. They're in your bulletin. There's a little note thing there. If you want to follow along, we gather for three reasons. Number one, when we gather, we encourage each other. Second, when we gather, we break strongholds. That's weird language, but I'll unpack it. Third, we make Christ visible. So encourage, break strongholds, make Christ visible. Let's look at all three. Beginning with this, when we gather, we encourage each other. Let me read Hebrews 10.25. It's a good, good word here. Hebrews 10.25. Don't forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some. In other words, the author is saying, hey, some Christ followers are uh, losing the habit of gathering. Don't do that. Rather, instead, encourage one another. In other words, how do you encourage one another? You encourage one another by gathering. So now, let me, let's just stop here and unpack this for a minute. Gathering together like this is often taught this way. Hey, God says to gather. It's a command. Boom, do it. And then the finger is wagging. Gather right? I'm going to try not to do that this morning because that's, that's the least effective motivational tool in the world, right? Like just to say, remember when you were a kid and, and your parents, I said, why should I eat broccoli? Because I'm your mother. That makes no sense to me. Like I, I need a reason. I want to know other than appealing to authority why this is an important thing, right? And many people grew up in the church afraid of missing the gathering that we're doing right now because it was a culture of guilt. Certainly uh, in, in, among our Catholic friends, it was a culture of guilt because the mass was where you got your forgiveness. So you had to go to mass and, and get forgiveness. So if you miss mass and then you sin, you got to get to mass pretty quickly because otherwise uh, you, it's bad news. Like it's, I don't have time to unpack it, but it's got fire and sulfur and stuff. So... Um, <laughs> Don't miss mass. That's a thing. And then among Protestants, there, it was also true. Certainly in my family, there was a culture like, if you ever miss, that's terrible. Uh, we had Sunday morning and evening services when I was a kid, and I was mandated to be there at both the morning and the evening. And particularly the evening, I didn't always want to go because it was running commensurate to... Uh, the wide world of Disney at 7 p.m. on television. This is aging me immensely, I realize. No videos, no DVR, you know, if you, if you blink, you miss it kind of thing. And, and so there were certain Disney episodes that I wanted to see, and I'll never remember, the tur- one of the turning points of my life was, fe- you know, feigning illness because I wanted to see a 7 p.m. Disney. And I said to my dad, I can't go to church tonight, I'm I'm sick, and then, you know, him and mom, they hemmed and hawed, and then uh, they said, okay, okay, dad will stay home with me. So dad stays home with me, and then while everybody else goes to church, I literally do get sick, and I, like, I, start, I threw up, and then I had to go to bed, and I didn't get to watch anyway, and I said, never again will I lie in order to get out of going to church, and I never have ever since then lied to get out of going to church, but like, there's this thing, don't miss it. Well, listen, this is not what I want to do this morning. Instead, I'm going to try and give you uh, a cost-benefit analysis of gathering, right? And the reason I'm going to do that is because that's what Jesus does. Mark 10, 29, Peter says, hey, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. And uh, the subtext, is it worth it? Here's Jesus' answer. Truly I say to you, there's no one who's left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much, both now in the present age, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, farms, along with persecutions, 
I love that he puts that in there. Uh, and in the age to come, eternal life. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. You can, look, when you follow me, it will always be worth it. Jesus is saying that. And we want to unpack that this morning because if you consider a cost-benefit analysis of following Jesus, what does it mean to be a disciple? I believe that you will ultimately reorganize your priorities and follow Christ, putting Christ at the center. And if you put Christ at the center, one of the things you'll do, you'll gather. So here's the deal. Uh, in this book of Hebrews, the author doesn't just say, hey, make sure you go to church. Don't miss church. He doesn't do that. Instead, uh, he or she, whoever's the author, sets up a contrast saying, when we gather, other people are encouraged. That's what he says. He says, don't forsake the assembling together, but instead encourage one another. So by gathering, other people are encouraged. And... Uh, in the opposite, by not gathering, that's discouraging to people who do gather, right? So uh, let, me, let me just kind of unpack this a little bit, and I'm going to note this. When you're present in this gathering, it says something. Your presence speaks. Even if you never say a word to anyone, you just come, you sit, you listen, you leave, your presence speaks. Why? Because what, what you're saying by gathering is, I, I'm in a community that declares certain things to be true. We are shooting the moon, all of us in the room, in, a, in this sense, we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. We believe it. And because we believe that, we're aligning our lives toward a kingdom that God says is coming, and we're seeking to represent the heart of the resurrected Jesus to one another, to our neighbors, to our enemies, to our city, to our world. That's, what we're, that's why we gather. So when we gather, we declare, hey, we're staking our lives on the fact that Jesus died, rose again, is returning, is going to make all things new. We're putting him at the center, right? And so when we gather, the fact that you're here encourages me. Why? Oh, I'm not alone. This is just a thing that happens any time that you gather with a group of people. Like, like if you become part of a small group and everyone's a vegetarian in that small group, Probably over time, at the least, you'll learn to like vegetables and eat a little bit less bacon. Probably. Probably. Right? If you gather with a group of people who eat only corn dogs and milkshakes, that's a different thing, and different things will happen to you. Right? <laughs> if, you if you gather with a group of, like, if, like our, all of our neighbors ski, all, they all do. Where we live, everybody skis. And so, because everybody skis, everybody skis. It's just easier to ski when everybody skis. You, you know, you wake up in the morning, oh, it's, you know, it's raining, and, and, uh, and the, the, the snow is all slushy. Doesn't matter. There's someone who will text me, hey, Richard, conditions are awesome. Let's go, you know? And so, like, that just, that just happens. It's a cult. Like, we're shaped by each other by virtue of gathering. So you, you just need to see that. And the fact that we gather this way makes it easier for us to embody the values of the gospel. It just makes it easier because you look around, you go, I mean, if you looked around right now, you'd say, oh, look at all these people in here, and they're all, we're all here because we believe Jesus died and rose again. And this is significant in a world that increasingly is dismissive of that profound declaration, right? And, and then, you know, the other thing that, that, that ends up happening is, you know, when you gather like this, uh, you, you find an encouragement in the midst of your discouragement, because other, other people are reminding you of these truths. I, uh, when I was 
uh, 18 years old, 19 years old. My, you know, my dad had died, and I was attending Cal Poly studying architecture. And uh, in my dorm, Sierra Madre, I got roped in and playing piano for an evening worship service. I didn't care about playing necessarily, but I did. I ended up getting involved. And so I, every Sunday night, I'd gather these people. I'm, I'm mad at God. My dad is dead. I'm depressed. I'm physically not doing well uh, because of my depression. I, I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent at best about faith, but because someone wrote me in a playing piano, I go every week. Dun, 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 You know, and then there's singing that goes on. And every week, I'm finding these people believe this. That's all I knew. I know I believed it or not, but they believed it. And now I want to say to you, that was incredibly sustaining for me over a period of time. In, now, there are, there are weeks when I look at it and I go, Really? These people believe this? But mostly uh, encouragement, like subtle, deep encouragement. Ah, these people continue to gather. They're taking time out of their week to declare to one another that Christ has made a difference in their lives and it made a huge difference. So that's a thing. Just being here, even if you never open your mouth, you look around and you go, wow, oh, look at this. There's 600 people in the room in a city that largely is dismissive of the gospel in many ways. There's 600 of us gathered who are saying to one another, just by being here, Christ is risen from the dead, right? And, and, and Christ's creating a new world. And death has been conquered. And, and we're moving toward justice and healing and mercy and beauty and hospitality and celebration. Man, that's encouraging. And when you're not here... Then there's two missing, or one, or whatever it is. So that's, that's something. And then just gathering, uh, as we've already said in a way, contributes to this, in culture, this culture which encourages others, and, and it makes a statement. Just gathering makes a statement. And this is particularly true in our particular location here. We're on a main thoroughfare, 80th, and there are some people who attend Bethany now, when I heard their story, they said, yeah, you know why I started coming? Because I was so annoyed at the traffic on Sunday mornings. <laughs> like, I, I, like I'd be driving by at 9.30 on a Sunday morning, and I was parked. Like I couldn't get, I couldn't get through Aurora. I'm heading east. I can't get through Aurora. And when I get through Aurora, I'm waiting, 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 waiting. Who are all these people? Who are all these people? What's going on here? And then I begin to look at the people. Oh, these are all happy people. What's, how, why are these people happy in this traffic? I don't understand that. And so then they come and they sit in the back and now they're disciples, right? Like because you came and annoyed people, that's, that's a testimony. So please be careful where you park because we love our neighbors. But understand, that's a thing. <laughs> without a word, without a touch, without a connection, you're just gathering makes a statement. Uh, and then on top of that, Throw in the fact that as you gather regularly, you make connections. And now it's not just your presence, it's an encouraging word. It's how can I pray for you? It's let me point out the gifts that you have. It's an opportunity to serve. It's a, it's a hug if that's appropriate. It's a handshake, it's whatever it is in, in your particular context. But understand that that also is incredibly encouraging. And so uh, I want, I'm trying to get you out of the consumerist mindset where you're like this. I don't have anything to give. I just come to receive, you know, inspiring music or 
uh, you know, teaching or whatever. No, I'm telling you, the force is with you, if I can say it that way. In other words, you are, hear me, the presence of Christ to one another and the presence of Christ to me. And that's enough of a reason to gather, even if the preaching is terrible. So we gather to encourage one another. And we do encourage one another by gathering. That's the first thing. Second, we gather to break strongholds. Now, let me unpack this. Break strongholds simply means that in all of our lives, uh, none of us are yet completely free, right? We have, there's stuff. It's fear. It's body image. It's greed. It's lust. It's cynicism. It's religious pride. It's complacency. It's boredom. It's anger. It's deep, deep pain. The church has hurt you. Whatever it is, None of us are yet fully following Jesus and enjoying the liberty and joy that we're made to enjoy. None of us are there yet. So all of us, there's work to be done in all of our lives, and we're told that when God's people gather, particularly in the context of praise, when praise is offered to God, what God does somehow is God reveals things that need to be broken in our lives. Like strongholds are like chains, if you can picture it that way. So here's my chain of greed. And then there's all this singing, and I'm aware now, oh, man, the dissonance between who I could be and who I am, and I, I, I want to move. Boom, and then the chains are broken. It happens, in, it happens because you gather, and because we, particularly because we gather and praise, not just listening to teaching, but praising. We had a woman live with us when we ran a ministry in the mountains of hospitality, and she was um, demon-possessed. And you guys know me well enough to know I'm not like, there's a demon in you. I don't do that, right? I'm not into that. I'm not looking for that. But I'm telling you, in this case, that was the thing. This woman had, she had come to Christ but grew up in the satanic church. And so it was very hard for her to continue to grow in Christ because she had, I'm going to say it, she had these strongholds. She had self-loathing. There were voices in her head telling her to kill herself often. Happened often. And, and so um, when I was in seminary, my mission's instructor, uh, he had experience in delivering people from demonic stuff. So he was explaining to us one day in class how, how you do that, right? And I'm just like, I, I'm a Baptist, right? This never happened. <laughs> I'm taking notes. Oh, yeah, you know, uh, in the name of Jesus, come out, blah, 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 you know, all these things. So I'm just taking notes, and I have my notes. And then this happened with this woman over and over again. She lived with us for a couple months. And there were these moments of deliverance. In the name of Jesus, come on. And it always worked until this one particular Sunday. And it didn't work. Uh, this, we'd gathered, we had a house church, we gathered to worship. And uh, this woman said, I'm, my heart's not in it today, I'm gonna weed the garden. She's in the front yard, ostensibly weeding the garden. We're gathering. Someone looks outside. She's not weeding the garden, they say. She's digging, a, like she was digging a massive hole in the garden, six feet deep. You know what this is. So I went out and I said, what are you doing? Digging my grave. That's what she said in a different voice, but that's what she said. Digging my grave. Why? Well, because I need to kill myself. Just matter-of-factly, I need to die. It's nothing. And then all this condemnation, all this stuff. Now, in the name of Jesus, da, 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 you know, and nothing happened. So, uh, my friend, who also knew some things about demons, he says, if we start singing, she can deal with it herself. I go, okay, let's try that. In Joshua, uh, there's the city of Jericho, and do you remember? Six, every day, 
People walked around. On the seventh day, what did they do? They shouted, shouts of worship, and then what happened? The walls came tumbling down. This is a picture of a stronghold being broken. So I thought, okay, let's, it's worth it. Let's try it. So if you picture we have a big Swiss chalet kind of thing, there's a deck, all like 30 of us, our house church, everybody goes out on the deck, my friends play guitar, they start singing, a mighty fortress is our God. And there's a verse in there, and though this world with devils filled will strategize to undo us, whatever it is, I don't know. And <laughs> we will not fear, for God has said blah, 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 right? <laughs> whatever it is. So they're singing, and that verse on the demons... Rob goes, sing it again louder. And so we just keep singing that verse over and over again. And I'm, I say to this woman, uh, in the name of Jesus, and, she, and nothing happened. And then finally, she just snapped. And she cries out, Jesus, set me free. I'm sick of this. And that's it. She's back in her right mind, literally back in her right mind. She looks at me. She says, what's this big hole? I says, you have no idea. She says, no, no. I said, you were just digging your grave. She was delivered. How? Praise. So listen, when we gather and we sing, this isn't perfunctory. It may not happen to you on any given Sunday that someone is set free, but take a moment sometime and read these books. Marriages, free. Addiction to porn, broken. You know, bodies, healed. Relationships, reconciled. Next steps in the faith, taken. And Often, I'm both sad and proud to say, not because of the sermon. <laughs> In other words, you gather and stuff happens. Why? Because when there's this collective voice of praise, the Holy Spirit is here bringing conviction of sin. And not only conviction of sin, but clarity regarding the next step. I must take this step. You see the dissonance. You may fight it, but understand, the stronger the praise, there's a power in that praise that, that breaks bonds. So... Uh, this is why we gather, to break strongholds. And these deliverance moments mean that music matters, singing matters, praise matters. And it leads to this renunciation, it leads to freedom. So we gather to encourage one another, we gather to break strongholds. Third, we gather to make Christ visible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, articulates the mystery that though Christ has ascended into heaven bodily, Christ still has a body on the earth, and the body is his church. This is what... 1 Corinthians 12, 12 reads, even as a human body is one body, I have one body, but many members, thumbs, feet, hands, etc. All the members, though there are many, are one body. This is what it says, so also is Christ. In other words, uh, when the church gathers, the church becomes the visible and literal, not metaphorical, literal presence of Christ in the world. Why? Because where does Christ live? Colossians 1.26, Christ in you, hope of glory. So Christ is in you, now we gather, and each one of you have different gifts. So somebody has teaching, and somebody has mercy, and somebody has hospitality, and somebody has a, you know, leadership and encouragement and all these things. So we gather now, each one of us is displaying a, like a piece of Christ, but uh, only collectively is Christ seen with clarity. Does that make sense? Because... Because my peace cannot display the whole. That's just the way it works. But when we are gathered collectively, Christ becomes visible in powerful ways. Walls are broken down. You see people of, of, of different race and ethnicity gathered. <clears throat> people of different financial status gathered. Captives are set free. 
as you see when the Holy Spirit convicts somebody of the next step to take in following Christ. People are set free from shame, as you see when people for the first time receive forgiveness. People find direction, find love, find healing, find solidarity in the midst of suffering. This is what it means to be the church. We gather because in gathering, Christ is made visible. If you read the book of Nehemiah, the testimony of Christ is represented in a sense by the building of a wall. And probably the most boring chapter in Nehemiah is Nehemiah chapter 3, but it's actually one of the most profound chapters because it lists all the tribes and families, and it says, you know, this tribe built this section of the wall from this gate to this gate, and this tribe built this, this tribe built the next section, this tribe built the next, and kind of the, there's a recurring phrase in there uh, that, uh, uh, about the building of the wall. Each family built their section of the wall. Now, get that. Like a wall is only effective if a wall is what? Total. Like there's a hole in the wall, then the whole point of the wall is lost. So every, every family is building a part of the wall. And, and so what does this have to do with the church? 1 Corinthians 14, 26. When you come together, somebody has a song, somebody has a teaching, somebody has a revelation, somebody's practicing generosity, somebody's practicing hospitality, inviting someone over for dinner. Someone just turns around and says, Peter, how can I pray for you? Th these are all ways that, that Christ shows up. And, and when every gift shows up and every gift, gift is activated, Christ is seen with greater clarity. And so you're encouraged, you're blessed because you see Christ with greater clarity and you're contributing to the clarity that is Christ. This is super important that we understand this because what we do, like, like the church talks about the body of Christ sometimes and they argue about whether the literal body and blood of Christ are found in the communion elements. And I go, let's not have that argument because here's the one thing we do know, Christ shows up when all of us are here using our gifts. We know that from the scripture. So the strong become a gift to the weak. The weak are a gift to everyone. The teachers have a gift to those who are hungry with questions. The merciful offer gifts to those who are doubting, those who are failed. The old bless the young. The young bless the old. The rich bless the poor. The poor bless the rich. The sick uh, bless the strong. This is the body of Christ. It's what we do. But listen, when you don't show up, your contribution to the whole is missing. Now, to, to illustrate this, I'll just show you a picture just for a second. Take a look at this. Who, like, do you know who that is? Actually, you don't know. And the reason you don't know is, is because you're trying to look at this picture and you, have, you still have dial-up, <laughs> AOL, right? Like, you're waiting for more pixels because if there were more pixels, you'd know this isn't Hitler, this isn't George Washington, this is a picture of who? This is Jesus, this is Jesus, but the problem is you don't see him very clearly. Why? Because all you don't see all the pixels. Are you getting the drift here? You're a pixel. And so like every one of us is contributing to the whole and beautifully, no single one of us can make Christ visible. No one can. Why? Because I only can teach. I can't do anything else. I can't change my oil. But I can at least do this. So I bring this little piece, this little pixel, and you have pixels. And, I, and everyone contributes. And when everyone contributes, do you know what happens? To the extent that everyone contributes, Christ is seen with greater what? Clarity. To the extent that you're sitting on the sidelines are not here, AOL, dial-up, slow modem. 
And you're waiting, waiting. Where's Jesus? Quit waiting and get in the game. That's all I'm saying. So then, finally, how are disciples supposed to gather? Well, first, habitually, and then, uh, you know, second, as participants. But first, habitually. In, in Luke 4.16, we read of Jesus that he went to the synagogue, and then I just underlined this phrase in my Bible. He went to the synagogue uh, on, the, on the Sabbath, and then this phrase, as was his custom. In other words, uh, you could translate the word custom with equal legitimacy, uh, habit. In other words, Jesus, when he, what did he do every Sabbath? He gathered. He, he gathered how? As was his habit. And so, listen, if you're a Christ follower, then you want to be like Jesus, don't just wear like a WWJD bracelet or something. What would Jesus do? Here's what Jesus would do. Jesus would gather. Not, not just would, he did, and he does. So we're called to gather regularly, right? Why? Because it's what disciples do, and so if you're a disciple, you're called to gather regularly. Uh, now, the average attendant of Bethany uh, gathers 1.6 times per month. I don't know if you knew that or not, 1.6 times. Um, you can debate whether 1.6 is regular, but I would argue it's not, it's not regular. And so 1.6 means for some of us, we gather if the Seahawks aren't at 10. But if they are, we don't gather. We gather if it's not good sailing weather, but if it is, we don't gather. We gather if, it, if it's not raining, but if it is raining, we stay home. And particularly, this is easy for us in an, like we, you have access to an online way of gathering. You don't, have to come, you don't have to come here and hassle the parking, but I'm trying to tell you this morning, no, your physical presence is a huge, important deal and a habit of Jesus, right? So, uh, my encouragement to you, work on making a habit. We'll talk about that in our conclusion. But let me... Before moving on, I want to unpack that a little bit because I really don't want you to think that I'm guilting you into gritting your teeth and gathering. Oh, you know, Richard said we got to gather, so we got to gather. No. Listen, Psalm 122 says it this way. I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. So the, the goal here isn't for you to grit your teeth and gather. The goal is for you to actually begin to enjoy this. Like not wake up on Sunday morning and go, oh, Sunday. Got to go to church rather be drinking coffee somewhere or whatever. No, it's supposed to be a joy somehow. Now, how does it become a joy? Well, it, gathering should be life-giving. Uh, great. What do you mean, Richard, life-giving? Here's what I mean. The, here's the real question. When we gather, we gather as the body of Christ. So there's really one question on the table when we gather. And this is a question. Do you encounter Christ when you gather? That's it. That's all it is. Do you encounter Christ? And, and uh, the desire we who lead is to make, uh, to help as many people as possible encounter Christ. But now hear me. <laughs> There's many ways to encounter Christ in a, in a gathering. Many ways. Some of you encounter Christ in the music, not uh, the, the sermon. Some in the prayer, not the music. Some gather because the moment of uh, greeting your neighbor, which some of you hate, is the most life-giving thing for some people in their whole week. I gather because I don't know many people. And this is a moment of human connection. So there's all kinds of ways to meet Christ. Not just preaching, not just music, not just prayer. Any one of those. But also true then, like one part of this gathering may, may uh, help you encounter Christ, but another part maybe not so much. 
And so what I'm trying to do here is move you away from kind of this utilitarian approach to worship where you go, you know what, I love the preaching, but I don't like the music, so I'm out of here. Or uh, Richard talks too fast, so I'm out. Or we're not Hillsong enough, so I'm out. Or we're not traditional enough, so I'm out. Or we're not formal high church enough, so I'm out. Or we're not casual enough. By the way, we are casual enough, right? <laughs> so that's not a good excuse. Like, here's the real, here, like, so, like, we're not enough. And I'm just going to give you a newsflash this morning. Hello, we are not enough. We're not enough. We're not, we're not justice enough. We're not prayer enough. We're not enough. But I want you to know, we're not trying to be enough. Because we'll never be able to be all things to all people. And so the question on the table isn't, does every element of this worship create in you you know, a rush of Holy Spirit adrenaline. Probably not. And that's okay, actually. I speak with pastors who tell me they live their lives in the constant anxiety that if they give three bad sermons a row, people are going to leave. Or if the music isn't their liking, they're gone. And people who, like if you behave that way, that's not discipleship, that's being a consumer, right? So, we're, like we're not enough in the same way that your spouse is not enough. Now, I just celebrated 38 years of marriage just this weekend. And yeah, it's a big deal. And yes, you can give me some applause for that because I think 38 years is worth celebrating. However, I will say to you, my spouse is not enough. She can't be everything to me. She is not everything to me. I don't, she doesn't run with me. She doesn't rock climb with me. Uh, she doesn't play the piano. She, she doesn't even like to read C.S. Lewis. <gasps> Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. And somehow, 38 years, uh, it's all good. Better than good, right? Huge return on the investment. Why? We, because we still encounter Christ in each other. We encounter Christ. I'm blessed by, like, she has gifts of service that are amazing to me and a heart of compassion uh, and mercy that I simply don't have. And so she, she blesses me in that one single huge, gigantic way, and that feeds me. And there's other parts where, no, if I got to run, I got to run with Phil. Well, not with Phil, but with somebody, <laughs> right? I'll run with somebody else. So we all, do you understand what I'm saying? We all have different gifts. It's fine. Phil has a Harley. He doesn't go with my scooter. It doesn't work. <laughs> so... The alternate mindset to the church doesn't quote-unquote meet my needs is this. Hey, I'm just here every week. Not because I'm looking for Red Bull hit, but because this gathering becomes an ivy drip in my life. Like, almost some weeks boring. But nonetheless, by faith, believing, I am encouraging others just by being here. Sometimes it'll be quiet, sometimes convicting, sometimes beautiful, sometimes profound with tears, sometimes healing, Sometimes all these in one gathering, sometimes none of these. I really don't like the question, hey, what do you want to see happen today in, in worship? I don't like the question because my job isn't to make anything happen. My job is to show up and use my gifts, and that's your job too. If we all show up, then we can just rest and believe that what God wanted to happen, happened. Uh, and I do liken it a little bit to uh, running or so, is when you run, it's not always amazing. It doesn't always feel good, but there's kind of this faith thing that goes on where you go, yeah, this is what runners do. Runners run, and, and over time, 
my resting pulse goes down. And over time, I can run a little faster. And it's, and it's so I just do it. I just do it. And I, I want to encourage you, same thing with gathering. But then, when you gather, gather as participants, because it says in Hebrews 10.24, when you gather, consider how can you stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So gather and receive and recognize, just by being here, you're encouraging me and one another, but also recognize you have gifts to give. So uh, try not to leave without uh, greeting someone, or uh, how can I pray for you, or uh, what's your name, and how long have you been coming here, and encouraging one another to serve, stimulating one another to good works. Why? Because most of us in the room are like subtly terrified that we don't have anything to give. And so then we default into consumer mode, and we come here just to receive. But I'm telling you, everyone has something to give. When I was uh, uh, 16 years old, my high school band went to Europe. We were in Scotland. We played a concert in the morning in Dunblane in Scotland, and then we were at the Dunblane Hotel in the evening. The band director says to us, hey, there's a couple options here tonight. There's a, there's a disco, if anybody wants to go dancing in the disco, and in the, in the basement of the hotel, Scottish folk dancing. Well, so there was a third option that he didn't mention that uh, my two roommates and I chose. We stayed in our room playing uh, Crazy Eights or Go Fish or some card game. Can you believe that? We're in Scotland, and what are we doing? We're like literally wasting away playing dumb card games in our room. Finally, we did this for two hours. Finally, at 10 p.m., my buddy says, that's it. I'm going to go down there to that folk dancing. Anybody with me? I went, peer pressure kind of thing. Uh, so the other guy played and play, stayed and played solitaire now. <laughs> so, so here we go down, and I'm like this. I'm not, and I, the only reason I went is I was like this. I'm not going to dance. I'm just going to stand there and watch. Well, we walk in. Everybody's doing, the, you know, whatever they're doing. And then the the song ends, and the MC goes, oh, we have two more laddies, whatever Scottish accent is, I don't know. We have two more laddies. Uh, uh, the lasses, they come and get you, you know, and then the two women just came and grabbed us and pulled us out on the dance floor, and pretty soon we're, do we're learning Scottish dancing. Like, I didn't want to even do it. I didn't even want to do it. And here I am dancing, and we, like, we started dancing about 10, 15 or so. This thing didn't end until 3 in the morning. <laughs> like, if I... If I if you said, Richard, give me the bucket list, like the top 20 events in your life, my wedding's up there somewhere, but Scottish dancing's up there pretty high too, right? <laughs> like, it was amazing, and I almost stayed home and played cards. Now, why would I tell you that story? Here's why. This is what happens every Sunday. People are like, we check out as consumers, think we don't have anything to give, doubting God, whatever, whatever is our reason for not being here, we check out. And you, what, the thing is, you never know what God's going to do. You never know when it's going to be dancing. You don't know. So just show up. And some Sundays it's dancing. <laughs> that changed your life. It's on your bucket list. Other Sundays, profoundly boring. It's okay. <laughs> you show up. Why? It's what disciples do. Uh, we're going to close with this challenge. Three things, and I, right at the bottom of your bulletin, it says next step. I'm just going to ask you, what is your next step? You need to work at increasing 1.6 to 2 or 3? Good. 
you want to begin serving using your gifts so that you can be an encouragement in that way? Good. You want to begin to invite others to join you in worship? Also good. This is what disciples do. So please take a moment and consider your response as we uh, close with singing, and then uh, I'll be back up for the benediction.